It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. I'm excited to have you back in here for our first show of the of the month and it happens to be International Women's Day and we have one of my favorite women to have back on the show here today. <laughs> we'll get to her in a second, but if this is the first time you're kind of running into this radio show and you're wondering what the heck we're doing here and why is it that we have these interviews and talk to these great people, it's really because I am uh, fascinated by what smart people are thinking about, always trying to learn uh, something from them to see if there's something they're thinking about, something they're worried about, maybe a book that they've read, and if I can't glean some bit of wisdom uh, from their amazing brains, then I can take that into my own life and hopefully be better for my staff, be better for my family, be better for my friends or whatever that may be. So that's sort of why the radio show started because I was having all these amazing conversations. And one day we said, why not do this on the air? Why not allow other people to hear the conversation? Uh, so they might be able to learn. Maybe they have questions or they have comments. Um, and so I've been really, really blessed to have some amazing people on the show. Uh, a lot of the stories, a lot of the kind of best things that we've been able to capture along with the stories of of my own companies and, and my own sort of journey uh, have landed in, in two of my uh, my two best-selling books, The Power of Company Culture and then Remote Work. So if you're interested in checking those out, you can find them on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And we're certainly going to be talking about books today because I know my my guest today has a new book out, so which I'm really, really fascinated to find uh, out more about. So uh, we do do uh, Talent Talk on Tuesdays. We are not doing it every Tuesday anymore. We're sort of doing it on Tuesdays where we feel like doing it now. It's kind of our new 2022 uh, attitude. We'll just do it when we want, feel, do it when we feel like it. So just make sure you're subscribing, especially if you're connected with me on LinkedIn or YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. It will let you know when we go live. Um, or if you prefer to listen after the fact, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or Podbean or one of those where you can get the podcast afterwards. Okay, enough with all the business and the mumbo jumbo. Let's talk about who's on the show today for International Women's Day. Uh, my guest today returning to the show is Lynn Schmidt, PhD, consultant, coach, speaker, and author of the new book, Anti-Sexist, Challenge Sexism, Champion Women's Rights, and Create Equality. So let's go ahead and get started, Lynn. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be back. It's been a been a few years. It has been a few years. I know you're a highly accomplished and experienced talent management executive. You're a consultant. Uh, you're a coach focused on helping women achieve success. 
Um, and of course, you are a, a author of award-winning and best-selling books. Um, and we, we sort of mentioned what the your current project is, which is anti-sexist. Um, why don't you tell a little bit about, to, to kind of remind everyone who you are, what you do, maybe kind of, you know, what you've been working on kind of more recently since, or at least since we had you on the show last time. What, what, what How do we get caught up here? What, what should we know? Yeah, absolutely. So most of my career, and I think the last time I was on the show, I was still in uh, corporate uh, America. And most of my career, I've been heading up leadership development departments. And I'm also a, a certified uh, leadership executive coach. A couple of years ago, I did leave corporate America. And uh, basically, I'm doing some consulting and coaching now on my own and spending a lot of time the last two years as we were uh, shuttered uh, due to COVID, I worked on the book Anti-Sexist and wrote that. And, uh, you know, I think like COVID did with a lot of us, impacted us in different ways. It, it slowed me down, which was a good thing because the book ended up uh, being global instead of local and being sexism holistically versus just the workplace. So so that was very, um, very positive. So that's that's really what I'm up to up to now. I think the last time I was on the show, maybe it was to launch Shift into Thrive, which was my fourth book, and then Thriving from A to Z. So I stayed in the thriving mode for a while, and then Anti-Sexist Homes specifically in on women, but it's a book for women and men. So let's talk about that word. I've heard the word anti-racist, uh, you know, that kind of uh, came out of a really good book, uh, sort of mm -hmm. post uh, George Floyd and, all of, and a lot of the social unrest that we sort of experienced during uh, during the time of COVID, if we didn't have enough to deal with, enough to think about, right? There was so many other challenges and things happening inside of society. Um, and so I think your book uh, is very, very timely because uh, the conversation about sexism, I think, is getting a, I don't want to say a reboot, but it's certainly getting like a new light on it, right? Where it was a really, really big topic for a long time. And then we sort of did some things or maybe we felt like we had some progress and then it kind of lost its attention. At least this is my perspective. I may be wrong awesome. about this. Um, and now it's sort of come back again. I think it's really, really important that it has. So maybe let's start with how do we define, uh, you know, being an anti-sexist or what does that mean? Where, where are we trying to target? Or I don't know if you want to maybe define sexism or you want to define anti-sexism. So let's kind of get the terms right for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first defining sexism, it's biases or prejudices against women primarily. It's primarily women and girls are on the receiving end of, of sexism. And it comes from our biases and prejudice that, prejudices that come from maybe the town we grew up in, the country we grew up in, our family, our church life, our, the media is huge. Uh, but, but we get these the biases that we have, what we believe stereotypically women, how they should behave. The fact is a recent United Nations study showed that nine out of 10 people worldwide have deeply ingrained women uh, biases against women. That's women and men. And if you don't have a deeply ingrained bias, you certainly have a you know, maybe an everyday stereotypical type of bias against women. So what I like to say is everybody's everybody is sexist. And we just need to own it and, and, and be okay with that because that's only when we can do something about it. So that's what sexism is. We are all sexist. You can never uh, get rid of your biases, but you can learn to manage them. And that's really what, what 
the book is to help with as well. Then in the middle there, there's what I would call non-sexist. It's the people who say, well, I'm not sexist, but, and maybe they manage their own biases, but they don't really step up to, to uh, acknowledge or call out other people's biases. And so that's really non-sexist. And, and I say, you can't be non-sexist. Uh, you're, you know, you, you're, you're, that's walking a fence that, that on this topic, there's no, no fence you should be walking. And so anti-sexist is where you really, you're still sexist because we all are. You're managing your own biases. In addition, you're stepping up, you're standing up and you're, you're taking actions to end sexism, whether it's being an ally in some way, whether it's when you hear for men, for example, or women, because we are all sexist. You hear a friend say say a stereotypical, maybe kind of demeaning re- remark. You don't necessarily get angry with them, but you you say, well, what did you mean by that? And let me explain to you yeah. how that could be interpreted. And so that's really the the sexist and be you know sexism is being sexist, non-sexist, which I say I'm not going to allow anybody to say they're non-sexist. And then there's anti-sexist, and that's really the stepping up and doing something about it. So I noticed when we sort of, if we want to reflect on this and compare it to to racist behavior, I noticed a big shift in uh, sort of in public or even private conversations, people being far less willing to allow someone to say things that were racist, right? To to make off offhand jokes or to to say something. You know, even if it's it just oh well, this this person, these types of people can't do this, or they they always do that, or whatever it was, and people would immediately get uncomfortable, right? So, on that end, there was some some progress there, but I don't, I haven't noticed quite that change yet as it relates to sexism. Um, there can be, especially for women, there can be this sort of either they don't recognize it, they gloss over it, they don't call it out. Maybe it doesn't feel like it's as bad as being racist. But it's still, and I think this is the challenge that we have, that to your point, I'm sure everyone has faced some level of sexism or they've observed some level of sexism, regardless of your gender, but it is women that are specifically and consistently, uh, I guess, sort of put into a really, really bad positions, right? This, this causes them to to not make as much money, to not be able to provide for their families, to not have the same opportunities. Where when I think about sexism against men, it was like, well, why would a why would a man be a nurse? Or why would a man be a teacher? Or why would but that didn't stop them from becoming a nurse or stop them from becoming a teacher. That sort of sexism is wrong and it should not occur, but like it didn't stop them from doing the thing they needed to do. They just maybe had bad jokes or people act like jerks to them. Whereas I think if you turn that the other lens, like there's literally like women who are not able to, to do some very important things that would be like under Maslow's hierarchy, right? Because of, of behaviors and consistent sort of, I guess, bad actors against group, a very large group of people. It, it, am, I, am I kind of categorizing that correctly? Is that, is that how you would see it? Yeah, that's exactly how I would see it. And I would say what you, what you said about you're not hearing much about it. The the fight against sexism does has ebb and flowed. I mean, if you think about the sex the '60s and and everything that women were doing then, they had to come together. They had to fight, you know, for 
for those rights in men and women. And then if you think about the 80s, there were some laws passed to help women in the workplace. But it does ebb and flow. And right now, it there isn't very much being said about it. And, and I read a really interesting article that resonated with me that said women always take the back seat, meaning sexism. So even with racism, which is important and should be focused on, sexism is still taking the back seat. It, it, women always take the back seat. And so, it, you know, it, it's not getting the recognition, but the numbers are getting worse. So that's one thing I talk about in the book. And one reason I wrote the book is, is harassment numbers are growing. Uh, uh, domestic abuse numbers um, are growing. Numbers, uh, the, the length of time it's going to take to close the wage gap is growing. The length of time for women to get parity is growing. So all of those types of numbers that should be shrinking are growing. And other numbers that um, maybe should be growing, like number of women in management, it, the number of women, 27% worldwide in management is the same since 1995. Yeah. Obviously, it varies around the world, but globally, the average is the same since 1995. So that's another another thing about the book is that I felt it was important to, to bring this to the forefront because the numbers are getting worse. No one's paying attention to it. Women are once again, you know, taking the back seat, and it has significant impact on their lives and costs to organizations and countries and nations and and even you know and and children in particular and then of course men as well because they're they're often behaving in ways that towards women that that doesn't make them feel good about it either right now in your book you talk about sort of the four outcomes of sexism maybe we could kind of walk through each each one of those i think the first one is the microaggression so what what is that what should we be looking for there yeah. So what I did with the book, uh, as I when I decided to really look at it holistically, because what I found is, as I started looking closer and closer at sexism, is that people specialize in certain areas. So I'll talk more about, I'll explain microaggression, but you've got people specializing in microaggression. You've got people specializing in sexual harassment. You've got people specializing in how to be a male ally. You've got people specializing in domestic abuse. This information is everywhere and it's there's just huge amounts of it. And what's, what I wanted to do was pull something together that showed all of it holistically so you could really understand the significant impact. So there, I created a matrix of a framework called the four outcomes of sexism. It's microaggression, discrimination, harassment, and violence. And microaggression is really where it starts. So if you think about the fact that we are all sexist, microaggression are those daily, I like to say there's the, they're the daily paper cuts. They're the daily often normalized things that we might say or think about women that hurt, you know, you hear it once, it hurts like it hurts like a paper cut would, but women hear them daily. And so they build up and they truly scar and they impact, you know, mental health and well-being and, and all of those sorts of things. So it's terms we use, you know, women engineer, working mother, things you've never things you'd never say about a man, there's not equivalent words, or bossy or pushy or aggressive when, when she's really just being assertive, you know, like a man would be. Uh, ditzy, ball buster, you know, bitch, uh, uh, you know, all those sorts of words and actions, you know, as well towards towards women. So those are microaggressions and and they build up. Yeah, and, and those are all, I think it's important for people to understand that there are different types of sex it's not just 
you know, uh, one or the other, or there are these different components. And so you might be not discriminating and not harassing and not being violent, but you could have these microaggressions, right? This could be where you need to think about your behaviors or you need to think about the behaviors of those people you might be leading or managing and, and making sure that we are creating that space that does not ignore or certainly not encourage, but I think I think one of the biggest problems I see is just it's sort of ignored, right? It's not really dealt with, um, and that becomes frustrating for women. Um, you know, I, and I don't. This would be interesting. I mean, do you think there's certainly a a lack of of women in leadership positions, as you as you pointed out? And I, I know a lot of people, and I and I've certainly been one of them that would love to hire more women into leadership positions, but it's like the, the supply is quite low. Um, and so why is the supply low? Is it that we are not developing women and, and helping them be successful into leadership positions when they start early in their career? Is it the, you know, behaviors and sort of the, the bad actors inside of companies that causes women to stop and to not continue, you know, inside of those organizations so that then there isn't that supply, right, when it's the right time to put them in there? Or is it a lack of you know, societal support when, you know, they have to step away if they're going to go have children and then come back to their careers, or uh, maybe this is a giant Venn diagram. And it's a little bit of everything, right? But uh, what are your thoughts on kind of why there's that supply issue right now? I, th I think it is a little bit of everything. And and when you look at companies, uh, you know, especially good, large companies are a good, are good example. In non-management roles, typically, uh, you've got 50% women working at an organization. The minute though, the minute you start looking at the, you know, first level management, supervisory, senior management, executive, the numbers start to shrink and shrink and shrink. And so it's, it's not really that the, in, in some cases, like if I'll talk about STEM in a moment, there are cases where the talent pool isn't there, but that's because of sexism as well. But it's not, you know, if you look at leadership roles, it's not that the talent pool isn't there. It is that the internal, the, the sexism that can happen within organizations is getting, is not allowing women to progress. I mean, succession management meetings, often women won't be, won't be nominated. They won't be on, you know, on the, uh, on the list. Uh, and, and it's not because they don't have the capabilities or the talent. Um, it's been shown that, that men often won't mentor uh, or, or, you know, sponsor women like they do. You know, we like the like, right? We like people like us. Uh, and that gets into, you know, the biases as well and the sexism. So when you look at leadership, I think a lot of those things play a factor as well as, you know, sexism in society before women even enter the home, the things they experience in girl, as girls and in school and other places that, make them feel like they they aren't good enough they're not able to do those kind that kind of work and that really gets into stem you know uh, science technology engineering and math roles whereas in school girls are told well you can't you, you know you can't you're not good at math you're not good at science you shouldn't pursue these where there's nothing that shows that that's true and then if they do decide to pursue it in college then they face all sorts of discrimination there in in the coursework because it's designed usually and structured for men, uh, there can be often harassment when they're, you know, there's they're they're token females um, uh, in a in a particular program. So I think all of those those things can add to uh, women not being or perceived as not being available to to be in the roles. 
I remember seeing some research years ago. My, my wife's a teacher, and she was looking, doing some research on on this, and there was actually some benefit to early on sort of separating the boys and the girls for math and for science because there was some, there was this sort of these microaggressions, and there was these mm -hmm. comparisons and this sort of natural. I don't know, like sort of negative things happening where immediately the boys were trying to puff themselves up and be really good at math. And the girls were willing to take a step back and just take, well, I'm not good at math. This, I didn't get this problem right. They, I got teased. I'm not good at math. And that's not true. And so removing sort of those, those gender tensions early on was allowed them to be successful in a better environment. And then later on, come back like in high school or whatever, uh, and and be able to hold their own when they're in a much you know in a better both both genders are in a better place to be able to be cooperative together inside of a classroom setting. I don't I don't think our I don't think our uh, schools are going to magically do that kind of radical change. Um, but it is interesting that there is some some something going on from a very early uh, mm -hmm. stage in life that's causing some of these initial problems around how we think about you know, math and science, leadership um, has such an impact through our beliefs, through our biases, and through the outcomes, I think, for women inside of inside of companies. Because you're right. You look at the average company, you've got a pretty, pretty close, you know, 50-50 split between men and women if you just look at positions. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, you, you don't necessarily have that when you're looking at the leadership team. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it is important to start start early. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, parents can be well-intentioned, teachers can be well-intentioned, but they're still bringing their, their microaggressions to the table in, in ways that influence children. And then the earlier you can start to move children away from having those, those type of microaggressions, those type of biases um, that get expressed through microaggression, um, the better the better off will be and the more likely we'll be able to change some of this. Yeah. And I noticed this a lot when uh, just in having a daughter and two sons, the difference in how people spoke to them. Right. And mm -hmm. in the things they would they would say she was pretty. They would tell the boys they were smart or they were tough or like, you know, but they, the, the language was very, very different. Um, and, and again, people weren't being intentional. They were sort of subconscious about it. It wasn't like they were trying to deliver a message to her to, you know, somehow mess her up for the rest of her life. But it was just sort of like there was programming there on their part that they had never thought about. So, you know, I yeah. was the jerk dad constantly calling it out, you know, and then and then they would realize that they were saying and they didn't hadn't put two and two together. Um, but you're right. There's so much messaging just from those people around us about you know, and even even in the gifts we give them, even in the things mm -hmm. that we reinforce uh, for both boys and girls that continues sort of this, uh, again, it, what's being delivered to boys in most cases is not harming them. It's actually pushing them up. And then what's sort of being delivered to, to, to young girls or women is sort of in some ways pushing them down for, for later success. And I think that's why your book is important. And this, 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 this work and this sort of idea and this conversation is, is really important for us to be having in our, in our workplaces and our homes and our schools. So um, I, I, I think it's perfect timing, and I, I really appreciate that you have, have sort of, you know, brought our attention back to this really important topic. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, and so much of it, as you said, I, I, I call it, it's been normalized. And then you think of the media. I mean, the Disney movies are getting better, but when you think about what the Little Mermaid taught girls, you know, the, the wicked woman in the Little Mermaid in the Little Mermaid told her she needed to be quiet so the so the prince would like her, right? Right. And so it's it's you know, the media and the headlines in the media and all, all of that is just, you know, just feeds this this sexism and, and you know, that gets expressed in those microaggressions. Yeah. Yeah, not to mention she shouldn't talk, but she also uh, had to totally leave her family, leave her entire world, uh, change everything about herself just to like, you know, be with a boy, right? Mm -hmm. Who did absolutely nothing to change or do anything. Yeah, the, a lot of those stories are <laughs> wildly problematic. Um, I, I do appreciate they've done a really, really good job in the last decade of of the stories being so much better. They're so much better in so many ways, but I think certainly in reinforcing better outcomes for for boys and girls, um, they, they've gotten they've upped their game, and that's probably because I'll bet you there's a lot more women writers and a lot more women involved in those movies that are being made. Um, it was probably you know mostly male back back you know if you're just looking at Disney movies or and stuff. So. Mm -hmm. But what should we be thinking about? What's maybe kind of one or two things we could do right now to to have an impact, to to I guess be better for those people around us, and 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 try to to limit or eliminate you know any sexism that may be happening that we can impact, that we can change. Yeah. Well, when I think about think about the four outcomes, when you start with microaggression, one thing I like to emphasize is the build. So microaggressions, if they aren't called out, if they aren't stopped, there are some people where it will build either to discrimination or to or to harassment or both. And typically women and men are involved in microaggression and, and at a smaller scale discrimination. When you get into harassment and violence, that's that's typically men um, against women. But the key is, is if we don't call out and stop microaggression, there are certain people um, where they will then escalate to discrimination or men that will escalate to harassment and then and then violence if it's not called out. So there is really a, an escalation pattern there where we if we don't stop it early. The example I like to use, it's, it was very tragic. You may have heard of Sarah Everard in, in England. Uh, it happened about a year ago, but a, a police officer actually on duty um, falsely arrested her, took her... Um, raped her and, and murdered her. And what was later found out is, is that the trial is that his buddies in the police force would laugh at him and joke with him when, we, when he would talk about project violence on women and talk about women in horrible ways. Uh, they actually nicknamed him the rapist. And they just would joke about his behavior. Uh, he actually had been turned in for flashing um, a few times and there were no repercussions. He wasn't held accountable. So that's just an example of how when microaggressions aren't stopped and called, there are certain people where it will then they will feel, oh, it's okay for me to discriminate because others accepted, you know, my demeaning behavior towards women, or it's okay for me to harass because other accepted it, others accepted it. And then the harassment leads, you know, horrifically often to violence. Yeah. So what can we do? I mean, I think we, we've got to you know, stop it early on. It's, it's standing up. It's, it's managing our own behavior, acknowledging it first 
and saying, yeah, I'm sexist and I need to be aware of how that surfaces and how when I think things, they then might come out my mouth and how can I stop that before it happens and, and how it impacts my behavior and call call out others, you know, when you hear it, when you see it. And then, you know, that's that stops it early on and, and working with children. But then if, if it, in, it, it, it moves to escalates to discrimination or harassment, that's where, you know, it's incredibly important to to call it out, to stop it, to support women when that is happening, uh, to be an ally. Yeah, and, and, and that's super important. And I think we all can find a way to help. We can find a way to make an impact. And whether you feel like you're strong enough to do that or not, there is always some action, something we can mm-hmm. do uh, when we know something's happening, when we see something's happening, we hear something's happening. It's really, really important um, that we do whatever it is we can uh, to do that. Um, well, I, I'm excited uh, for you to be launching this book. Um, and where can people find it? What's the best place for them to go to to go grab your book? Yeah, it's um, in various places because I know everybody has uh, different places they like to shop. It's obviously on Amazon. It's on bookshop.org, which is a great place to go because they give a certain percentage back to indie bookstores as well. It's on Barnes & Noble. So right now it's available online to pre-order. And if someone has a bookstore, local bookstore that they really like, my distributor, is, it's globally available as well. But you can just ask the bookstore and they should be able to order it in for you. So it's available. Uh, it's available most everywhere. And last and most important question, how can people find out more about you? Where should they go to learn more about you or uh, and the work that you're doing? And especially if they need help in this area, maybe they need to hire you as a consultant or, or as a coach. What's the best way for them to do that? I can be reached on LinkedIn. Uh, definitely uh, is a good way to a lot of the folks on here would, you know, watch who will see this uh, are on LinkedIn. So you can reach me through there. Uh, I'm also just about everywhere on social media, Instagram. Twitter, um, where, uh, Facebook. I have an author page on Facebook, uh, so people can definitely, you know, contact me through in, um, Twitter. People can contact me through any of those sources. Well, go out there and look for Dr. Lynn Schmidt. Uh, she's definitely worth following. I should pick up her book. And thank you so much for coming back to the show and being such a great guest and focusing on this really important topic. We really appreciate all your fantastic insights. Thank you, Chris. It was great to be here. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to today's show. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2. 